Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sketchacast. Man, it is very hot outside, especially for spring, but that's what you get for being in the northeastern region, right? But regardless of the heat, I hope you're all staying cool and vaccinated. I know that my guest today is. They even made a post about it, which was really cool. You, you can check it out on their Instagram. And that person is the Artful Olive, a.k.a. Olivia Cucci. What's up, Olivia? <laughs> No problem, no problem. How are you? Pretty good. Um, I'm enjoying beautiful dry weather up in Massachusetts, um, and so yeah, I'm having a really good time up here. How's the humidity? Because where I'm from, and even Maryland, the humidity can get pretty high. Well, right now, it's not that high. I just came from Florida because I just graduated school, so I... This is nice. This is like dry. I feel like I'm having to apply chapstick all the time. It's awesome. (laughs) It's like the lesser of two saunas. Yeah, yeah, no, it's gonna get really bad, but I'm just enjoying this low humidity now. Yeah, oh, you better enjoy it before the heat waves mm. and, th- and thunderstorms come. Oh, yeah, it's already, we're already getting there. <laughs> <laughs> Ever so slightly. Yes. So anyway, uh, now you mentioned yeah. that you went to school in Florida. What school was that specifically? I went to Ringling College of Art and Design uh, in Sarasota, Florida, and I majored in computer animation. Cool. So. Yeah, as I've heard, Ringling is like a pretty tough school for computer animation majors, right? Yeah, um, I mean, I don't like bragging about it, but we did get the number one uh, computer animation program in the country last year, which is really cool. Uh, wow. It's kind of exciting to be part of that school, so, yeah. <laughs> That's really fascinating. Like, even, not to like blow other colleges off, but the fact that it's like at number one compared to something like, I don't know, CalArts or Sheridan or other places, Yeah. amazing. Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool to hear about because, like, you know, when you're in the program, it's so funny that, you know, you're going through the motions and you're not really thinking too much about what it's like compared to other schools. But um, it really is a rigorous program and it's really intense. And there's a lot of emphasis on professionalism, which I think is kind of one of the contributing factors to it being so successful. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I feel like I was working on an actual job the entire time I was at school. So, In some ways, whether you go in an internship or you do schoolwork or anything, college at the end of the day does feel like you're doing work, but it never feels a like a job because you're doing what you love. You exactly, know? exactly. And actually, come to think of it, you didn't originally go to Ringling, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I, I went to Leslie University up in Boston first. It's it's called the Art Institute of Boston technically, but they merged with the university only about like, I think now it's like 10 years ago or something like that. But I was there for two years. I loved every second of it. I just really, really wanted to push forward in my career in story art or computer animation, something that the college at Leslie didn't really offer because it was more 2D focus, like 2D motion media stuff, um, which was cool, but definitely not what I was looking for in the industry. So, made yeah, the switch. I think like a lot of people who will go to certain colleges will want to go if like not necessarily to gain industry work, but even to, to just understand what it all means in terms of craft, but also in terms of how to market yourself. Because even a lot of famous animators can end up working for freelance, you know? Yeah, which is actually pretty cool. I know um, Ian Abando uh, is one of my favorite story artists. He started where it's completely freelance for just any company that he can. So even if you don't get all the connections from your school, you can still get connections within the industry and kind of jumpstart your career through that. So you don't have to be in the right place at the right time you just kind of have to meet the right people i guess actually based on that and i say this because if i got this correct you were an intern at the now defunct blue sky studios and pixar right yes yes so blue sky uh i was an intern in 2019 and so fun just like the best summer um i learned a ton (laughs) got hashtag humbled uh (laughs) and it like it was so difficult especially personally just kind of learning how to find my voice and story and we really just got drilled but it was such an amazing work environment like everybody there was so nice um now i love this guy i'm I'm gonna miss it um but luckily i get to see a lot of my coworkers from there now at pixar um a lot of them got hired on there so pixar thing is interesting so i was supposed to be an intern for 2020 in the summer but because of covid they canceled it And, you know, they didn't really know how to do it online yet. So while they were figuring out how to do that, they pushed the internship to the fall. And all of the interns did like a mentorship over the summer. So 
I was able to still have a mentor and still get assignments, but they just weren't assignments that had to do with the internship. They were just more of like, hey, we're teaching your story and like you have to practice every day. So that was really cool that they got to do that for us. And then in the fall, some people who already graduated or didn't want to go back to their senior year stayed for the internship. And then myself and a few others went back to our college for uh, to finish our senior year. And at the end of the summer, I got told in a meeting, they were like, okay, here's your evaluation. And then they offered me a story residency for the next year. So it was really exciting. So now what I'm doing is I'm going through the internship that I was supposed to go through, but I'm titled as a story resident. So I'll be kind of like doing other assignments here and there too. So it's going to be fun. Um, I'm starting that very, very soon uh, in June. So. Oh, cool. So basically next month. That's, yes. That's <laughs> incredible. I just got to say, I'm... <laughs> Not to sound like jealous or anything, but like I, anytime you see other college students or your peers from your college and so on and so forth breaking mm-hmm. into the industry even before they've graduated, that alone just shows you like, wow, you know, they're going places. Has it ever happened, whether it be to you or other people, where their envy kind of like gets the better of them? Because I feel like there's always this fear in some art school students where they'll see where some are and feel like, oh, man, I should just quit this. I'm I'm never going to get that that good. Because I don't like personally to to me, I don't think that's the best idea because I've been through that. And I don't you know, I wouldn't wish that upon anybody. No, it's funny because I have a having gone to Leslie beforehand, I feel like I have a perspective of somebody who was in that position. Um, I looked up to everybody at every other art school. Like, I thought, like, oh, my God, I suck. You know, I'm never going to be as good as they are. I'm just going to have to just try what I can here in Massachusetts and figure it out. I couldn't afford Ringling, really. Like, it's just a lot of stuff that factors into you thinking you can't be successful in ways that you don't expect. Um, For Ringling, like, I got a scholarship there. That's the only reason why I was even comfortable going. Uh, My mom and I were talking about it, and... You know, I just went down there to look at it. Like, I just went down to be, like, I just wanted to observe the people who I, like, revered. And I I wanted to see, like, how the other side lived and kind of take all my notes back home. But then what happened was I found out, oh, my God, this is possible. And we didn't even expect it to be. And so (laughs) when you have an opportunity like that, you kind of jump on it. and, And we did. And it was, like, a huge risk. But... It paid off, and the thing I kind of tell everybody that I meet for this stuff is I have no good analogy for it other than, like, milk it dry, I guess. <laughs> like, take everything you can from your experiences at a place. Like, at Leslie, I basically just absorbed the entire Boston area and, like, learned everything I could and then was like, all right, I've done everything that I've wanted to do here. And then I went to Ringling, and it's like, you just do the same thing there. And the Pixar thing was like a fluke. It was just, I, I signed up to pitch a storyboard to visiting recruiters and I got picks out of a sea of other people and me and a couple other students just pitched to them and that started my relationship with them. And it's weird how it happens, but I just say like, try it, sign up for stuff, like try everything in any place that you're at because those connections are so important. I'm actually working with an intern right now who's from, um, Indiana University and she's self-taught and I'm working with somebody else who's just majored in chemistry and now she's switching to story and she's an intern like coming from all over the place and it's so cool yeah it just goes to show that like I mean there's people at Pixar that I've heard were like plumbers before they were an artist and it's amazing like you know everyone's looking up to everybody and no matter what station you're in you're always looking up to somebody else. Like, even though I'm in a position where before I would have looked up to where I'm at now, I'm still looking at everybody else and being like, oh my God, I need to be as good as them. Or look at like another intern and be like, their style's so cool. Like, how do they do it so effortlessly? Um, So deep down inside, everybody's jealous of everybody. Like the grass is always greener for everybody else. But it's good to just take that and instead of making it more of a jealous kind of feeling to kind of make it more of appreciation and a drive for yourself to work harder in a healthy way. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I'd say. Yeah, you know, that's a really good point, honestly. I think when people say like, you know, compare yourself to others, they don't mean like, oh, be exactly like them, but more so look at what they do best and then apply that to, you know, your strengths and weaknesses so you can improve. I think that's a much more healthy way of doing it and it's funny that you mentioned that type of mentality i'm sure plenty of people do it at colleges like plenty of people did so at mine 
But it was more of a case where me and others kind of had to look over like, you know, other students, be it our friends or teachers or other people, our influences, you know. And so it became one of those things where you just had to feel it rather than like be taught it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, at Leslie, we weren't at the time I was there, at least uh, the program has started to like really pick up, which is great. But you weren't taught the drive, you know, you're not taught the feeling of what it's like to be in the industry. Uh, I think Ringling definitely, Ringling and CalArts and Cherry, like all those big guys, it's like they're so deep rooted in the industry that they can get students to come back and they can get all this stuff. But these other schools that don't have that, it's like you think that you're missing out and you think like, oh my God, my school isn't providing this. And it's so difficult to feel like you're actually like pushing forward and you know, you go to your friends around you, and God forbid any of them aren't as driven as you are, you feel like you're in the wrong place. And it's really, really tough, but no matter where you're at, like I said before, for like even Pixar, like they're gonna find you because they're not looking for necessarily the name of the school, and they're not necessarily looking for how well you can draw even. It's about who you are as a person, and maybe your storytelling ability, or you know, a little nuance maybe you put in an animation or something. When you're specific to yourself, I think that's when you can not be jealous of anybody anymore because you are your only you, and they are looking specifically for you. So if you try to be like anybody else in the next year, then they'll come back looking for you being like, hey, we want you now, and then you've changed, you know? So yeah. just keep growing with yourself. That's yeah. some of the best advice I've gotten from them. It also helps to just like, you know, even if you have issues with like other studios to at least not be too opinionated because, you know, there, there does, you know, obviously even I'm learning this too, you know, it's kind of like when you're younger and you go, man, we're better than the rebels and all that, like, we're be, <laughs> yeah. you know, so, so on and so forth. But then yeah. you kind of grow up and you realize, wow, I was dumb. I need a job, you know? Yeah, yeah. You become, it's not like desperate, but it's more like, oh, like people are people and jobs are jobs. Yeah, you can literally work for Disney and not like the environment of the workplace. And you can love the job and just be like, there, because it is at the end of the day a workplace. Like, it's not all peaches and roses like everyone thinks it is. And you can have a preference. And so it's so important for people to know that, like, you are looking for a job just like any other job and that, you know, you shouldn't be kind of a slave to the name. And luckily, if it's a company that you love and the name is big, then you got both. But, you know, you can have a really, really happy career literally anywhere if you like the workplace and the people. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny that you mentioned, like, oh, maybe the workplace isn't the best, but the people love the work. You know, even Disney and Pixar, like, you know, there was a point where those studios were, like, even when they were making their critically acclaimed darlings, like uh, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Lion King. I mean, this is because of the corporate takeover in the 80s, but they were making... They were making those movies in a warehouse, and they made some yeah, of the yeah. and they made some of the greatest films ever. Even when when Pixar started off, it was like a smaller place. I don't think it was a warehouse, but it was like a smaller type of joint. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, and they still made you know their shorts and the first two Toy Stories, Bugs Life and Monsters Inc. Yeah. And you know it just and even after like they got their building, they still make great films. Like it, it kind of shows how sometimes the morale of a studio can increase if the environment is not as good. Absolutely. And I mean, if you think about it, too, if you look at the original Toy Story, I mean, graphics wise, it's, you know, kind of bad compared to some new stuff, obviously, because technology <laughs> improves. But you can see the heart behind it and you can feel it. So like, even though these things might have been built or made in weird conditions, it's like when you really feel the heart behind it. So I guess if you are at a school or a place where you feel like you're working in that kind of warehouse where you're working, you know, in a little box and you're like, oh, what was me? Um, <laughs> you know, you can have like, you can still put that heart in it. You know what I mean? Like, However big your imagination is, no match for whatever box you feel like you're in, so... Definitely. Yeah. I think also, I've noticed this too, I don't think I'm the only one who's been there, but like, I've tended to notice, whether it be in college or other places, winter usually brings up more morale because we're usually just crammed in our places and we're like, man, we're gonna like crank this stuff out. And then when it's summer, it's like, oh man, we're so relaxed, you know? Obviously that doesn't sum up everything. Yeah. Maybe that's the case at Leica because they're in Oregon, who knows? But mm-hmm. I, again, it, it just kind of goes back to how like, you know you're not in the, the best conditions, but you're just loving every minute of it, you know? Absolutely, yes, for sure. I, I couldn't agree more with that. 
animation's a field for people who love the craft. You know what I mean? If you get up there in the industry, you'll get paid more and stuff like that. But you don't hear people go into it being like, I'm going to be an animator because I just want to make money and have a nice house. You know, it's not like that. It's, no. it's, it is your lifestyle at some point. And that's why I like story art so much, honestly, is because I've learned stuff for my life outside of art from story. It feels like a whole lesson in psychology and, and observing people. I just love it. Like, I haven't really taken the idea of, you know, doing art all the time in life. And like, if you're not drawing that you're doing something wrong, that's not really what I wanted to take out of the job or the kind of industry vibe, I guess, that people have. They're like, oh, artists work all the time and you never stop working. It's not the healthiest mindset to have, I don't think. Um, if you are that kind of person where it's like your hobby is art and that's all you want to do, like, rock well, on. I don't like, think that that's, so cool. I don't think that's just a hobby. I feel like even by that point, you're still a workaholic. <laughs> yeah, you might be. Yeah, I know. I, I'm like, I'm a, both a masochist and a workaholic in a lot of senses for what I do. I am too, yeah. but I'm also a little lazy. <laughs> no, it's, and that's the hard part about art is that, you know, you feel like you're being lazy if you don't work as hard as somebody else or not work as hard, I should say, but like draw as much because right. you can honestly, I, I learned this from playing sports throughout high school and stuff like that. It's working smarter, not harder. So you can be, I was a short, tiny little middle in volleyball and I couldn't reach past the other girls who were on the other side of the net. And I had to learn workarounds for how to beat that because I physically could not grow taller. So you learn tips and tricks of how to be smarter and how to like place different places and things like that. The same thing applies to art, honestly. Like you can figure out how to work around stuff. Like let's say that you're not the best at drawing the figure or something like that, but you tell really good stories and oh, yeah. you can, you know, you, you can stage really use other things, you know, like be better at composition and staging, you know, and make that your thing, your ticket in, like just be a master at that. So there's a lot of things that you can focus on and work on that, you know, you may not be seeming like you're working as hard as someone else, but you technically are. Based on that, and I think this might also go into you focusing on computer animation, what's your opinion on the belief that even if you're not a great draftsman, you can be an amazing animator? Um, I mean, it's not even a belief, it's kind of a fact. Uh, <laughs> you can be. Um, I think people's perception of what's a good drawing is oftentimes based on sometimes even what their parents might think is a good drawing or what society might think is a good drawing. It's something that people like to look at. But as far as like animation goes, I personally feel like from what I've seen, the best animators have the most functional drawings. So it's sort of that understanding of like the form and, you know, things like that. If you can draw a cube and you can draw a sphere, you can be a good animator. Um, and I, I think, like, if, you know, you start learning, like, the whole topic of working smarter, not harder, you know, you start learning how to populate that square or cube or rectangle with different details as you go, you know, anybody can do that. It's a lot more simple of a drawing than you think. I mean, and you talk about computer animation, too, you know, you don't have to be a great draftsman to be a good computer animator, you know, there's other things that you're trying to achieve, you're trying to achieve really good acting and things like that. It helps to be good at drawing, like it helps to be able to plan beforehand, like I think that everyone should at least feel comfortable with a pencil, but you don't have to be like drawing crazy, you know, uh, Leonardo da Vinci kind of drawings, <laughs> <You> just, <laughs> as long as you can be clear, it's the same thing with story, like story's all about clarity, um, character, but in, in any case, you know, you, you want to be clear, like if your drawings are clear, you can draw a stick figure, like playing ball, playing catch, and you're good. If you are an animator and that's how you plan by drawing a stick figure, doing something, and then you animate it on the computer and you know exactly what you were trying to do, who cares what it looks like on paper? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think that's a really good method too. Like, especially when you consider that some of the best animators, like I think even Brad Bird, the director of The Incredibles and Ratatouille, uh -huh. said, like, you know, some of the best animators at Pixar don't draw, you know? It, it's all just based on what you know best, and depending on what you want to do the most, you will succeed at that over time, as long as you, you know, just keep trying, just, you'll make a lot of mistakes, but I think at the end of the day, as long as you know what you want, yeah, that's what matters most. Also, too, a lot of those different animators who maybe don't seem like they can draw uh, or, or don't draw, at least know the fundamentals. It's almost like, you know, you have to at least know it and have attempted it and work your way around it. 
because it's the same thing as like Picasso. So it's one of my favorite quotes ever where he said, you know, it took me 30 years to draw like Raphael, but a lifetime to draw like a child. <laughs> you know, but he has to know that part of it. You have to know how to draw like the greats and then you work your way down. You don't just say, oh, this artist draws stick people and they work at Pixar, so I am not going to work any harder than drawing stick people. You have to learn how to draw like the greats and then work your way to that point because all that is is an abstraction of a masterpiece you know what i mean so you have to know what the masterpiece looks like you can't just settle for another artist's shorthand for it if that makes sense yeah yeah you can't expect to like achieve a craft if you don't experiment and figure out what makes it work but also didn't make it work at first like i think right I think a lot of people tend to overthink that like, oh, well, oops. I think that's also why some people kind of give a bad rap to some abstract art because not to bash other artists, but you can tell when they're kind of just like phoning it in. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the ones who, who aren't and are actually, you know, being serious, like even if it's conceivably abstract, you know, they're obviously doing it for a very specific reason. I think mm-hmm. those are, are the ones you should look out for. You know, even concept artists, like, you know, concept art is intentionally abstract, so it can just get the basic world down, you know? Right. Yeah, it's just the same thing as like filmmaking when you're, like, you know, doing a scene study or, or you know, setting a film or a director. Like, some of the best directors use the simplest shots. I mean, they literally, it's so simple, but they know the craft so well that, like, you know, uh, there's a clip of the short that was made before Whiplash, the movie, was made. It's, like, right. kind of the circle that inspired it. Yeah, I haven't seen either or. I, they've been on my watch list forever, though. Oh, yeah, you gotta check them out. They're so good. I, I love them as, like, just film studies, too, because they're really, really simple. I mean, the entire story is, like, a power struggle between two people, so all the shots indicate who has the power in the moment. And the best part about the short film is that it's kind of showing that, like, you know, you'll have an upshot and a downshot, and, like, one character will take up more space. It's very, very simple film techniques for, like, a very, what we perceive as a complex scene, you know? Like, oh, these characters are thinking all these amazing things, like, the music's happening. At the end of the day, it's really simple. Um, But the director knows the craft so well that he's able to kind of show it really simply. And I think that that's what's so genius about it. Spielberg is so simple in how he does everything. And, like, it it always baffles me when I go in to do a scene study. I'm like, oh, I have to make sure that I'm learning all these complex things. And at the end of the day, you find that you're just relearning the basics from these master directors. And, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. And I would even say someone who's more complex, like, you know, Kubrick or Hitchcock or Tarkovsky even those people like those shots still tell a story so if you just study an individual scene you'll probably get just more out of something so minor you know right yeah of course you know I often look back when when it comes to like specific shot composition you might know what I'm talking about too whenever Mm -hmm. I I look at Pixar's The Incredibles like almost if not every single shot composition and layout just like conveys like every single bit depending on like the mood of the scene or like the atmosphere even other films from brad bird like you know the iron giant ratatouille mission impossible 4 you can tell that like those people use cinema as like a playground as something that you can use to tell fun stories and showcase interesting characters and in many ways it can even like elevate a story that might not sound good on paper but you know, once they actually make it, it's like, whoa, this is really cool, you know? Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, it's something I've been learning a lot lately. Also, when just helping other people at Ringling, my mentees or something like that with story, is that I'm starting to see kind of my own mistakes in story and my own kind of places of growth. And one of them that I found that's really interesting is this idea of, like, simplicity also in clarity and storytelling. So, like, the reason, I mean, you mentioned Brad Bird. The shots that they have, like, you know, you're saying that, like, they chose such great shots. It's because usually the thing they're trying to convey in those shots is so simple. Like, this is the shot of the family coming together. What's the best way to show that? Or, like, this is a shot of the bad guy coming in, and he's very imposing. Let's go back to our basics. What's the best way to show that shot? And the cool thing about all that is that you're saying, like, you're going to show your bad guy and you want to show them in, like, an upshot where it's, like, they're very big in frame. You can make that shot look super cool with, like, a bunch of other elements. And that's where the unique part comes in. You know, that's where, like, your creativity comes in. But at the end of the day, 
you still know what you want. You want the figure to be imposing, and there's a tool that you can use to get that. I'm finding that learning about what the tools are, you think you know what they are, and then you're like, now I know how to use them, and you go to use them, and you're like, this is too cliche, and I have to learn something because I want to make it big in the industry, so I have to learn how to use these tools in like the most interesting way possible. But it's so funny because like it's just like the Picasso thing. Like You realize that the whole time all you have to do is use the tools the way they were intended to be used. <laughs> yeah, why, why? I mean, I guess you can kind of reinvent the wheel a little bit, but why reinvent the basics of it when it's all pretty, like, maybe not flawless, but it, it works just fine, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like like I said, there's so many other ways that you can be creative in your problem solving for how to find a good shot. And I, I think a lot of it has to do with, like, you know, you can go look into framing. Like, if you're framed something a certain way, is it showing that the character's trapped by something? But at the end of the day, all you have to do is know what kind of message you want to send in your shot. Um, and that's something that I'm always going to be, I think, struggling with and learning as I go through this. Because it's easier seen and said than done. Uh, you look at your own work and it's really hard to kind of know how to apply that in some cases. Yeah, and I'm sure you were like... We're going to go in, into your thesis film a little bit now that you, you graduated, but I'm sure you went through a lot of experimentation when making it. Oh my god, I, I storyboarded that thing so many times. I have so many passes. I think I have like 10 very, very different passes of it from like a year of working. And that's not to say that like little things have changed or anything like that, but I just mean like that film went through some crazy changes, yeah. but <laughs> <laughs> It had to though. I've learned this too, even the most subtle change to your film may end up being way more beneficial than you thought initially. Yes, for sure. And anyone who gives you critique on it is just there to help make it better. Um, and, you know, you want to focus at the end of the day, because when you're in a full faculty critique and everyone's got a voice and a say in, in what they want the film to look like, you have to remember sometimes at the end of the day, like, what was my original message? And sometimes a note can help you either adjust that message or change it. But you never want to hate your film when you come out of a critique. Like, you never want to feel like, oh, I got so much crit on that, that now I don't know where to go. And now I feel like I have to change my whole story. It's like, no, pick and choose what is most important to your story and what's going to help it the most. Getting critique itself is a learning process. Like, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, critique's always hard, you know? I can say that for a fact. Yeah. But I think one thing that people should really take into consideration let your ego aside for just a few minutes and see what others have to say. And if you just really don't like what they have and it doesn't benefit your film, fine. But I think even the most minor stuff can, as I said, just help it out a little further. And, you know, you, you may look back and go like, you know what? You were right to consider that. I was just tired and I was working too much and I had other stuff going on. You know, life happens, you know. Yeah. You will, however, look back at that film and go, yeah, you know, it was a tough ride, but at the end of the day, nobody got hurt, right? Yeah, right, exactly. The whole critique thing, I mean, people who, and I have a lot of people in my life who've done this, where it's like, and I've done it too, and when the first, you know, first couple of years of art school, you wait to get critique because you mm. don't want that critique to mess up your flow, or right. you don't want the critique to make you feel like what you've just worked on is trash. <laughs> And such is the life of a story artist that our work is disposable. At least that's what my mentor just recently said. You know, it's like you're drawing so much only to know that it might all get thrown away. But instead of thinking kind of glass half empty kind of feeling of that, you can think of it kind of glass half full where you're like, without me having done this, we would not have come up with this other iteration or this idea or something. So even if your scene gets scrapped or something, you are contributing to a whole that is amazing and collaborative. And so, yeah, you do have to set your ego aside because it's not about how well your scene is or how prominent you were in the production. It just all that matters at the end of the day is you made a good film with a bunch of people you had fun with. So, yeah. Um, that's so exciting to me, and that's what I love about the industry is the more I learn about it, the more I love the humility behind it, and I love all the people working together. Same. Animation, I think, is one of the most collaborative art forms ever, and, you know, mm -hmm. if just one person behind it isn't quite getting the flow, the whole thing could fall apart. But then again, you know, as long as you know what project you're working on, even projects that don't turn out good necessarily, you can still tell right. that the people, you know, tried and had fun on it. 
I think that's also part of why I've become less bitter about stuff over time, because at the end of the day, people are just doing their thing and they're enjoying it, and who could say no to that, right? Yeah, we're, we're all just a bunch of adult children who are learning how to be masters of a craft. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> Definitely. So with all this said, we could go on for hours and hours about this stuff, but I, I think we'll, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, we'll wrap this up with a couple more questions. So sure. what is your thesis film about and what's your plan to like move forward with it? Oh, okay. Uh, my thesis film is about um, a lonely lobster on a beach looking for love, but Aww. her destructive claws are destroying everything that she finds that she thinks is a lobster. Um, <laughs> So our lovely main character named Sandy, like all lobsters, she's practically blind. So everything red on the beach looks like a lobster to her. And it was just such a fun little film to make. It was actually one of the first stories that I ever made, uh, storyboards ever, I think, at Ringling. And I kind of had it as a back pocket idea. Um, it took me forever to even come up with the idea in the first <laughs> place. Because it was just for the, like, we had like an assignment where it was like a free-for-all assignment. And I was trying to think of all the different story things that I was like remembering. I was like, okay, it has to have like a really good conflict. And I came up with this idea. I was like, I love New England. I love the beach and the ocean. So we made a little film out of it. I had a thesis partner, um, Juliette Brown, shout out. Uh, <laughs> and also from New England. So just a couple of beach-loving bozos and make it a little film about a lobster. Um, <laughs> I don't necessarily know if I made the film to see it go anywhere. Um, it was more of like a really, really nice personal feat to have made a film and have something like a character that I love and have a full, completed piece. I mean, that's something that I never really would ever get to say in the future. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't think I'll ever be able to work on a project that intensive uh, and full on my own again. So I really loved that experience as both a button on the end of a college experience and also as a first kind of push into the real world and a push into the industry. And for me, I, mean, I am in a unique situation with my short film compared to a lot of other students. Because a lot of students make their short films to show it to an industry or show it to professionals and try to get their foot in the door through that. I luckily already had a job, which didn't mean that I wasn't going to push myself to make the film. But I wasn't making the film for anyone else. I was making the film for me and for my thesis partner. So that's kind of where I differ in a lot of different cases, if that makes sense, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I get that. You know, based on, on that too, like not going to stop anybody from showcasing their stuff to industry people. But yeah. I think that does come with plans first and foremost. And so, mm -hmm. you know, with you all already having a job and other people at Everglade mm -hmm. probably do as well. And I've talked to a few other animators about this. I think a good chunk of what they should do for their films is just, you know, submit them to festivals, see where else it takes them. Because I think one of the biggest things you should consider when it comes to certain colleges, and I think, you know, it's good that they went to a place like Ringling anyway, but like some colleges are a little different when it comes to animation showcases. Some are very industry pro, others are like kind of self-funded professional bringings, like Micah College. They and other places kind of operate on more of like, oh, uh, you can gain stuff through, like, applying for grants or showcasing your stuff throughout the festival market. And, you know, that's obviously easier said than done, especially for some people. But really, at the end of the day, like, and as you said before, a lot of it is just, you know, doing a lot of the work, showcasing your stuff, whether it be, like, work or a hobby, as well as taking care of yourself, obviously. <laughs> And so I think, you know, based on where your film is going, I think it's really only a matter of time before it and a bunch of other Ringling films really start to get shown out there, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, we, we put our films through a lot of film festivals throughout summer slash year circulating around before it gets through the festival. So, you know, we can't really share it online. That's why... You know, you get like a season where all the Ringling students from the year before start sharing their films and everyone's like, oh, hooray, we get to see them, finally. Uh, so I can't show my phone for a little while, but yeah, it, it's strange how it works because like you create this thing and you want so badly to share it with everybody, but you can't, you cannot yeah. because there's business that has to be done. <laughs> yeah. Film festivals to be had and things like that, but it's still a fun process. It is a fun process, though. I do agree that, like, don't make your thesis to a point where, like, oh, this is only good for a portfolio, not to be shown anywhere else. Or, mm. 
But then again, I don't think most people are like that. I, th I think they do usually work their best to get to a certain point. Like <laughs> my college, like <clears throat> one of the most famous illustration majors. I don't know if this was her thesis or not, but she became well known for a comic she made during school. And that was, you're probably going to be happy and sad when I mention it, Nimona. That was a great book. I remember it. It is a great book. It was going to be a great movie, I'm sure, but <laughs> I was able to like sit in on some story pitches for it, and I just I loved it. I, I love that story. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I feel like for anything, you know, I did mention that, like, you know, in some cases you want to get a job out of it, but we're all, as artists, I feel like we're all just, like, natural perfectionists, and if, you know, you're starting to make a project, odds are you're probably going to want to work really hard on it through to the end so yeah I, I think that's why it's important to be passionate about it because you're gonna want to put in the work and you might as well be really happy about putting in the work instead of like really miserable about putting in the work and just for anything too like even like I mean this goes into a whole portfolio talk but even if you were making it for your portfolio you don't want to make something for your portfolio just for a company like you're making it so that you're proud of it and that you like it and then the company kind of goes back to what I mentioned before, like they're looking for you. Yeah. So you want your portfolio to reflect as much of you as it possibly can. Yeah. At the end of the day, the company themselves are the ones who do end up looking for the creative talent. But that does start with the creative talent. Maybe not looking for the company, but just like doing their best to showcase what they know and what they can learn, so on and so forth. Some yeah. people can end up in companies that they didn't think they would ever end up getting into, you know? Yeah, I know. I mean, that's literally, like, I, it's still a shocker to me in a lot of cases that, like, I'm back at home now, and I'm looking at, like, old essays from high school and things like that, where it's like, what's your dream? And I've, like, senior year put, oh, my dream would be to, like, work for Pixar one day. And then it's just, it, it's like, it doesn't even feel real. It feels like I'm sitting here in, like, a weird dream that I'm going to wake up any second. Like, it's so strange how it works, but like I said before, like you don't know which opportunities are going to get you there, which is why it's just important to work hard and be passionate wherever you are right now, because if you start slacking off, not, and I'm not talking about work-wise, I just mean like mentality-wise, like if you start yeah. kind of slacking off on your mental state of how much you love the industry or something, just because things aren't working out in the timeline that you think they should work out in, then suddenly your timeline's going to show up. Yeah, and you, you don't want to be um, miserable when it shows up, you know? It's all practice. It's You have to sometimes practice being happy in a certain situation, and sometimes you have to practice getting critique and being okay with feeling a little off for a little bit. And the second that you feel most comfortable with it, that's exactly what happened to me, the second you feel most comfortable and content with understanding that, like, this is just life and the hard parts are just part of it, Right. It just falls right in front of you and you see it more clearly and you're like, oh my God, I'm ready. I'm ready to like take on this challenge or like the challenge kind of comes to you. It's crazy how it works, but I firmly believe that everyone's path is different, but everyone's path is still a path somewhere. So, you know, I don't know, keep working at it. If anyone's out there, if you're in this, <laughs> keep working at it. Animators support one another, even if they're, yes. even if they have different interests, you know? Yes, yeah, you can admire, I, I used to think, like, I remember there's a, you know, to name drop because she's fantastic, uh, Kenna Jean Harris, I'm obsessed with her work, she's one of the first people that I ever saw in her portfolio, and I was like, oh my god, this is story art, like, this is yeah. the kind of story that I could be telling, and it just resonated so, so deeply with me, but because it did, I thought that I had to tell the same kinds of stories that she did, and I thought that, you know, this goes for a lot of other artists in my life that I love. And, you know, I thought that, like, she was so confident of why she told stories and so confident when she talked to classes or groups or something like that in her message that she likes to send. She loves drawing kids and she, you know, mentioned that kids see the world is so dramatic. And I, as much as I shared that sentiment, I kept thinking, I was like, that's her thing. Like, I, I have to find my own thing. And, you know, I'm trying to find, like, a more unique voice for myself it's really hard it's, it's really hard to kind of know who you are and leave college and be like i have a clear message and not feel like a phony or a poser yeah <laughs> um, but yeah at the end of the day like just be yourself because parts of yourself will line up with other artists you like there's probably a reason why you like them uh they resonate with you or you know something like that but through her being so confident in herself i thought that i had to be the stuff that she talked about 
when in reality it was about being confident in yourself that's the lesson out of that so if I could tell that to anybody else who kind of needs to hear that advice it's you don't have to like what they like you just have to know why you like what you like (laughs) and then you will kind of be in that boat and it's nice (laughs) definitely it all just starts with the people you enjoy. You, you mentioned Ken and Jean. Like, there's so many artists I know on Instagram, let alone, who are just, like, unbelievable. I can't even give, like, too many shout-outs, but, like, to anyone who wants to, to search up, like, whether it be industry people or freelance people or people just doing their own self-funded stuff, just, like, go on Twitter, Instagram, Kofi. I recommend any place. Just, they'll be on there. They may be busy, but they'll always be happy to see your love and support. And, you know, so much cool stuff, you know? Yeah. I always tell people, like, look at it from your own perspective of, like, somebody coming to you, asking for advice, or telling you, hey, I like your art, and how good it feels, or it would feel to have that. And, you know, it humanizes the people that you're trying to do this to, you know, trying to, like, exclaim how much you love their stuff. Um, They're not, like, these untouchable gods that you feel they're going to smite you if you say the wrong thing to them. No, no. chances in the industry will be ruined. No, you have to just talk to them, and they'll appreciate it. I think people are a lot nicer than the industry might make it seem. Um, Yeah, I think it really just comes down to, like, you know, and as someone who is pretty anxious in real life, I, th- I think a lot of it just comes down to trusting the right people. And also, too, this is another thing I should probably mention. Don't be afraid. Like, you even said, don't be afraid to reach out. And don't be afraid, like, even if the people are busy, they even say so. Oh, I'm busy a lot, but feel free to shoot us more emails or shoot us more applications. Yeah. We're not, you know, going to be all gung-ho about it. We'll be happy to see what you got, you know? Yeah, just apply and get your foot in the door and kind of think, if you're thinking, is am I being too annoying by sending a follow-up email? Mm. No, it's good. You, you want to talk to them. And if you think about it, like I said, from their perspective again, you know, you can kind of gauge they're probably good at managing their time uh, from working in the industry that if you email them, you're not like interrupting their day. They'll look at it when they can. Mm-hmm. And you sending a follow-up email might be really helpful because maybe they forgot to look at your email and they told themselves that they would and they have like, another thing going on. That doesn't mean that they don't like you or that they're annoyed by you. It's just, no. you know, life stuff. <laughs> um, and yeah. they'll be very empathetic for the most part, I think. I, I can't say that everybody in the industry will be, but I, right. I haven't really met anybody who's too aloof or, you know, hidden away. I personally, like, I love talking to people about this stuff, but the only reason why I might not answer people is because I just don't go on Instagram or a lot, and that's, like, my only social media outlet now. It's okay, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's okay, though. Like, I think most people that, especially those that I've known, have tended to be a lot more forgiving as long as you do remain active in some other place. And if your only social media outlet is just one place, like Twitter or Instagram, totally fine. I know plenty of people who have made so many followers and, like, have gained popularity on only Tumblr, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's funny because it's, like, it's not even about, um, like I said before, like, it's going way back to the beginning of our uh, conversation, you know, it doesn't really matter if you're in on Twitter or Instagram or Tumblr or anything. It's kind of who you know while you're there and how much you make the most of it while you're on there. Um, and so you can follow a billion people and be followed by a billion people. But at the end of the day, do you want followers or do you want a job you really like? If you want followers and you can make a living off of a following... That's awesome. Like, that's a huge goal in itself. I know so many animators who just can make their own work because so many people just love them. Um, And then there's other people who want jobs so badly, but they're kind of clouded by that idea that they need followers in order to have the job. The numbers don't matter. I mean, some of the best story artists, in my opinion, that I love have like 300 followers on Instagram. And it's because sometimes what's good in your job as far as your work goes may not be the most popular looking illustration or drawing, but think about it relatively. Like, you know, they can do their job amazingly within Pixar. And then if you go and post a really, really crazy sketch online, a million people may not understand it enough to love it. And that does not mean that you're not worthy of the following, you know? No. At the end of the day, you know, maybe this is just my perspective, and I'm sure others have it. Mm -hmm. Success is most likely a much more rewarding and healthy factor than fame. 
I could never imagine being as famous as other people personally, and I think others do get that. But yeah, like as you said, like the popularity doesn't matter quite as much as just what you know, are you successful yeah. at this? Like you can be the most famous person in the world and your ego has skyrocketed. Yeah, well, while you're chasing fame, you could lose so much time that you could have worked on stuff that you love. And that's something that, you know, I'm trying to get back now is just I spent four years just kind of hustling for this idea of, like, I need to be successful and I need to be industry successful. Yeah. And you sometimes lose part of yourself. And that's why when I said before, like, story art is this psychological kind of shift into finding yourself and what you love and your voice it translates into life like who are you and what do you want to say and while you're chasing fame you could make your storyboard that you like why wait for an industry to pick up your story when you could make it just yeah. on your own like there's so many opportunities now to do that just take it take your time yeah take your time and don't feel afraid to try something different if you feel like you're willing to try it at least you know everyone's a work in progress and that does in fact make everyone you know just a little bit better each and every time yep <laughs> And so, my final wrap-up question, I've asked most, if not all, my guests this so far. Mm -hmm. Looking back on these last four years versus now, mm -hmm. what would you say have been both the toughest and proudest moments in growing as an artist and being in the industry? Like, what would you say have been both the toughest and proudest moments getting there, and how do you feel looking back at them? Yeah, yeah, I, it's definitely a loaded question, because I feel like whatever I answer right now will seem like the definitive answer, but it's a lot of stuff. So as far as, you, you mentioned, like you say, so part of the question was the lowest moment, right? Like, I think a huge challenge, low moment um, for me was, I think, sophomore and junior year, I wanted to drop out, and then I went to Blue Sky, and I had my summer there, and it was amazing, and I had imposter syndrome. I still kind of do, like, I really bad that whole summer where I was like, I'm not doing well enough. And I got critique after critique, and it was good critique, like, but at the time, my mental state was not understanding where it was coming from, so it was kind of hitting a lot of my insecurities. I, do, I don't feel good enough here. Once it was I a point where, like, the critiques felt less like benefits and more like reminders. Yeah, yeah. So what happened was is that halfway through the summer, I just had this weird, like, it was like rock bottom for a week. I was just like, I, you know, so just mentally uh, not okay. And then the next week, I just had this weird sense of calm. Like, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Things will be okay after it. It's going to be all right. No problem. And then I started to... I say quieter as far as things go. I meant like, like work-wise. Everything felt a lot more introspective. I felt like I wasn't just looking at a project and thinking like, oh my God, I got to be the best I can be on it. You know, I wasn't feeling that stress because I just hit rock bottom. I felt like that was just killing me. So when I got rid of that, and then also like kind of turning into a year of my highest point of just loving what they think I had a couple other low points throughout the college just based off of like you know as a story artist you feel like you're never good enough even if you do get to that point where you feel like you love story you still kind of get stories where you're like ah I could have done better right you know like I'm not telling the story I want to tell but that's just like little stuff that's not like a tragedy yeah um, yeah high point for me was just hearing that I got the Pixar summer residency because it's like you tell yourself that nobody needs to tell you that you're worth it or anything. But when you hear it, it can help make all that hard work really feel like it was worth something. It's so funny how that works, but it basically hearing that from my mentors after a summer of me trying to be myself and fully myself just helped confirm that like, oh my God, I don't have to be this crazy puppet or this crazy like other version of myself. I just have to do what I love and it will work out in the end. And after I got that notice from them that I was going to be able to work for them, it was at the perfect time. It was exactly when I knew who I was and felt comfortable with any outcome. So it's funny how that works because I felt like on a high hearing it, but I was so at peace that it doesn't feel like what you think the high is going to feel like when you are uncomfortable with yourself. I don't right. know if that makes sense, but no. it's so funny how it works. You think you're going to be elated and that like nothing will compare to the feeling, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just 
this overwhelming sense of confidence. I think a lot of it too, so. you know, as great as it is to feel like, oh my God, I've reached it. Don't feel like, oh, this is it. I'm never going to grow anymore. Like you're going to keep growing as Walt Disney said, just keep moving forward, keep moving forward, so on and so forth. Yeah. You never stop learning. And my mentor said to me, he said, we don't want people at Pixar who have stopped learning or who are done learning. You are literally always always growing and learning and that's why the movie soul is so special to me because <laughs> it's exactly how joe feels at the end of that movie he goes and plays for this band that he thought like he would feel this high off of but when it's done he still has more to life that he can achieve and, and that's what's so special about the industry and life and everything is that you're not done um and so to think that one experience will be the highlight of your entire life is just kind of fooling yourself <laughs> Yeah. And I think also, like, you know, even teachers who I've had, it's not like, oh, that's all they're, they're going to work for. No, they're still doing projects outside of their main jobs. As one of my first interviewees, Craig Clark, said, because he's also, in addition to an animator uh, professor, like, you just do your main work because, you know, he's done this stuff for years. You do your main work at a studio or a school, and then you just go home and crank out your pet projects, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I hope that from like, who knows where you're going to be at the end of this decade. Obviously, that's kind of a scary thought. But I imagine that like, you know, you and a plethora of other people are going to be, you know, still doing your own stuff. Even if you got like a main secure studio job, you'll probably end up doing stuff you didn't think about, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I already graduated school and immediately have life goals to learn other things. I really want to get into like wildlife rescue and things like that and have that as like a side thing. And wow. I started realizing that, you know, my life doesn't have to revolve around art just because I'm an artist. And that's just so exciting to me. So I'm excited to start like other chapters within the context of working for the studio because I want to populate my stories with my experiences now. I don't just want to settle on the fact that I can, you know, I'm working for this company. I, I really want to be my best self so I can tell my best stories because it goes hand in hand at the end of the day. Definitely. A lot of it is just, you know, experience, growth, and learning, you know, just learning uh -huh. more and more each day. Yeah, yeah, and learning everything. It's so cool. Like, life is <laughs> awesome. Uh, so I hope artists can go out there and, like, live it and not feel so stressed that, like, if they're not drawing, that they're not actually doing art. Because you just living your life is good enough sometimes to inspiration for art Definitely. later on down the line. <laughs> Definitely. And even though we're going to have to wrap this interview up, I don't think your career as an animator is going to wrap up anytime soon. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm so excited to see where you go after graduation. It's such an exciting time. Scary, it, but exciting. That's exactly it. It's scary, but exciting. You never know what opportunities are going to come up. Who knows, maybe one person who made a weird experimental avant-garde film at CalArts will probably end up being the president of Nickelodeon, you know? Right, exactly. And I love that you're doing stuff like this, too, like with the podcast, because it's just like another sign of like a different kind of hard work that doesn't go unnoticed. Yeah, it may be a hobby, but it's an, an important hobby, you know? Yeah, it's just kind of showing a different side of, like, the passion for animation. So, yeah, I think that this is great. Thank you so much for having me on. No problem, Olivia. And actually, even though this is going to wrap us up, where can people find your work? My work? Um, well, I'll be posting more regularly, hopefully, now that I'm out of school uh, on oh, Instagram, yeah. at The Artful Olive, and... Hopefully, very soon in the future, you can see some of my work in a Pixar film. That'd be really cool. You gotta start your own yeah. website. I have a website. I, I forgot about my website. <laughs> um, my website is olive, uh, that's O-L-I-V-E, myart.com, or dot blogspot.com. Oh, a blog. Um, nice. Yes, that's where my story portfolio is and where I will update some stuff very soon. <laughs> cool, man. We're really looking forward to what else comes. But until then, just keep on trucking with the hard work. Enjoy the rest of this month. And we'll see you in the Thank future. Thank you so much. Yeah, you too. You too. And that should wrap up this episode, folks. Take care until then. And look out for more Pixar films in the future. We're not sponsored. <laughs> Bye.